Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and the most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb, I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And you can look that one up. And here's today's question. Don't think, just, just say it out loud, first thing in your mind. What is the most beneficial use of technology? Uh-huh. Well, did you fumble a bit? Do you have to think? Well, whatever your answer, I am sure that we can today, if you'll forgive the term, trumpet. Uh, in the snap of a texting thumb, you, we are going to introduce to you to Mr. Sheldon Himmelfarb, founding CEO of the Peace Tech Lab, the dedicated coterie that deftly blends data, media, cell phones, and scores of technologies with a powerful flame of human creativity to quell hate and halt violent conflict. Peace Tech is really uh, growing an, uh, an inciting, exciting army of entrepreneurial folk, and they're building peaceful enterprises around the world. In fact, at last count, Peace Tech uh, has trained over 1,300 organizations in 16 countries to help bring to and they've helped bring to fruition 36 startups that disrupt the cycle of violence the dogs of war no longer are sole possessors of technology's massive powers so whether you're seeking some ray of human hope that's going to get us all on the right track or you're merely just enchanted by the inventive cleverness of what we homo sapiens can constructively build Pull up your chair and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Sheldon, I'm so glad that you can honor us with your insights and make a visit to the Art of the CEO part of Peace Tech Lab's fifth anniversary celebrations. Hey there, Bart. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Everything is just fine from way down there in uh, Washington, D.C., which they say is 12 square miles surrounded by reality. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that one, Bart. (laughs) Sheldon, just uh, I've got to ask, what is waging peace? I mean, I, I know what waging war is. You define your enemy, you define your goals, you gather your forces, deploy them and attack and disrupt on all fronts. But how do you campaign? For the absence of war. Well, um, Bart, you know, it is absolutely as systematic in approach to building peace as it is a systematic in approach to trying to wage war. A lot of work has been done on this topic across uh, the last 50, 75 years especially to understand it within the context of this broad category that we call 
<clears throat> conflict resolution and peace building or conflict management and peace building. So how do you do it? We think of it in terms of a system. What, what does peace look like? Peace requires uh -huh. essentially, broadly speaking, five end states. You need rule of law. You need social well-being. You need a sustainable economy. You need security. And you need stable governance. Now, within those five broad rubrics, those five end states, you find everything okay. from, you know, access to legislators, access to equal justice, um, uh, um, ability to finance businesses in an equitable fashion and so forth. So, but, but the point is, Bart, those are the five ingredients, if you will, the DNA of the conflict. And when any of those things are out of alignment, you have the possibility of of conflict, violent conflict, right. of violent conflict. war at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I know that previously, you, you said there's been much in the past half century, but previously peace uh, building really and, and, and ending violence has been kind of an oral effort. I mean, using well-crafted words to preach against it and, and to negotiate workable treaties. And so here you come along with <clears throat> Uh, here's Sheldon Himmelfarb saying, well, there's there's more we can use, the magnificent untapped power of technology. Uh, give me just one example of, of how this works. Yeah. Um, well, first, let me just add one more point to, to that sort of framework that you've just described. You know, if you think of, um, think of uh, peace in terms of prevention of of violence. It's not yeah, so yeah. different than thinking about, you know, health prevention. You know, in the old days, we used to try to run really, really hard at only treating the disease in the health area. Yeah. Same, same huh. thing with conflict. We would run really, really hard at only, <clears throat> excuse me, at only ending the violence, temporarily ending the violence, anything you could do to end the violence. But now we think of it more broadly, as, as I told you in that kind of systems framework, think of it as what do you need to have a healthy society? What are those ingredients? Mm. So uh, if you think of it in that framework, there's lots that can be done um, using tech and otherwise in order to tackle the various drivers of violence, the various things that prevent your society from being healthy. So I love to give one really clear example here, Mark, to make it all come alive. I think you can probably draw the straightest line between technology and technology's advancement. I think you probably draw the straightest line between technology and violence prevention when you look at elections of the last decade, for example. Um, okay. Elections historically especially in fragile states, elections have been a flashpoint for violence. Um, yes, true. Well, our, our team participated in Kenya in the 2017 elections in the, with a, a number of local partners and other organizations to build and operate an SMS-based, a text-based early warning and response system for preventing violence. It was called Jishi Niamani. And it provided right. a way to text in rumors or eyewitness accounts of voter fraud or interference or just trouble that was brewing, gangs that were gathering around a polling place, which may be simply gathering because, as we learned in some instances, 
they'd run out of ballots and nobody had gotten the ballots and it was a blisteringly hot sun and somebody had to alert the right people to go get the ballots. But, you know, you have the – how did we hear about it? Well, we have the right. power of these text messages. We have what people in country right there at that polling place are posting on Twitter, and you're getting that ah. immediate real-time feedback so that you can intervene and prevent these incidences from spiraling out of control. And I will say there's a lot of great work that has been done by many, many people in many places around using tech to create social media tracking centers at times of election so, so that you're you know, having a good look at what's being said on Facebook and on Twitter so that you can intervene uh, early. Um, there's, it, it's just been a real, really exciting space to watch for me for the last 10 years to see how technology has managed to help prevent violence in, in, in these flashpoints. Sheldon, this leads me to something I've heard you say, and I, I always, I, I've really picked up on it as you say that, that technology has given us an opportunity to democratize peace building. It, it can get every citizen and soul affected in there. And uh, I think that I think that that's what you just showed in the, in that uh, example it goes out uh, the word goes out to everybody and they they understand what's going on and, and that brings it uh, it seems to me as if your peace tech exchange uh, which is one of the, the, the flagship elements of, of the lab is an excellent example about this could you give us uh, a little bit first of all about what the peace tech exchange is and how it sets up and works how's, how's that function yeah, I'm going to give you a one-two punch here, Bart. I'm going to give you both that what is the peace tech exchange, and I'm going to hit on that not, that question about democratization because it's an excellent one, and it really is one of those things that have changed dramatically across the last 10 to 20 years. Frankly, with the right. ability of every single one of us to you know be armed with cell phones, internet connections, and so forth. But the peace tech exchange recognizes that. There's been a lot of tech diffusion around the world. Even in the bottom three billions, we find people we find people with cell phones, and not only with cell phones, we find them feeding their airtime on their cell phones before they're feeding their bellies because these things True. have become invaluable tools for everyday life all over the world even in the most impoverished places. So anybody who tells you, no, nah, there's internet connectivity, is not there. I, I'm just telling you, it's everywhere we go. Now, second of all, um, a, a real story that I think makes this democratization come alive is when we were doing a PTX, a peace tech exchange in Mumbai, India, where we were asked to bring in our process to help in the problem of gender violence, violence against women and girls in, in Mumbai. Right. And um, the Peace Tech Exchange typically is a three to five day training where we come in, work with local technologists and work with local civil society organizations. So maybe the first time anyone has ever got them in the same room to wrestle up common problem together. So we had all these organizations working on gender violence or gender equity in Mumbai, and we had all these local technologists, and they really wanted to help one another or to understand one another, I should say. So the task at hand, 
that we, st we tee up is how can you use low-cost, off-the-shelf, readily available tech to help counter gender violence in Mumbai. And sure. we got a lot of ideas, a lot of techniques. There's, you know, set up this website called Hollaback, which has been set up in many other countries. Set one up here to, in order to uh, counter gender violence. Um, there's a lot of techniques. But, Bart, the one that I will never, ever forget, the moment I will never forget, is when a group of 13-year-old girls from the Dharavi slum. 13-year-old girls? 13-year-old girls from the Dharavi slums of, of oh, Mumbai, God. one of the poorest places on the planet. Oh, yeah. Bart, one of those girls show up at our meeting and say to us, we'd like to show you what we've created already to counter gender <laughs> violence in our communities. And we go, this. what? And they get <laughs> up and demonstrate a mobile app for the cell phone that they have of created course. using the free MIT um, uh, app maker. They downloaded it with the help of a mentor. <laughs> they downloaded this. They created an app where you push one button on your phone, it sounds an alarm when you're in danger. It sounds an alarm. It sends a message to your network, parents, family, friends, and it locates you. Simple, right. but effective. Right. And Fabulous. this is... Oh, I love it. Right. Now, if that is not a perfect example of democratization. These are not engineers. These are not geeks. Huh. These are not, you know, sophisticated computer scientists or anything. Like that. These are ordinary folks actually who have almost nothing in the way of resources and they direct it towards creating an app like this for their community. That is the democratization we see every day in Peace Tech Lab. The availability that anyone anywhere has today to um Push a button. With a push of a button, you can send a message, an idea. You can send funds. You can create a business. Um, you can send these things to the other side of the world with a push of a button. Amazing and wonderful to behold that, uh, that the, the technology, the simplest technology, is getting out. And what do the make great mass of people want to use it for? They use it, they're using it for peace. If you have just joined us, you're listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time floats shamelessly across the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen to this and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com. That's theartoftheceo.com. As an added avenue, by the way, you may also join us on C-Suite radio station. We're proud members of C-Suite, where the best in business merge their experiences with your own inventive dreams. So just tune in to c-suiteradio.com to hear also all our Art of the CEO episodes. Now, Sheldon, I think this is marvelous that you have uh, been able to enhance these people and um, I think that, but on the logistics side, I'm, I'm curious. You are coming into an area that is either depressed or unsettled, and, and so often uh, violent with war zones. And heaven knows, there's enough war zones to choose from, alas. But how do you select a target for your uh, exchange hub, and and with whom do you can connect? And 
how do you already work in this unsettled nation? Yeah, well, that's a good question, Bart. I mean, we are an independent nonprofit organization. We had been spun out uh, from the United States Institute of Peace uh, uh, five years ago. So we are an independent nonprofit organization, and uh, we have we know that there are um, many, many uh, conflict zones, fragile states where we could be doing work that would be useful and valuable, but um, we're limited, obviously, by the resources that we have. So we are um, we, we tend to go where we have found a funder who is um, uh, interested in supporting our work, whether it is training um, uh, civil society organizations in country so that those those organizations who serve millions in that country can do more, better, faster at whether it's preventing gender violence or countering fighting corruption or uh, promoting inter-ethnic or inter-religious um, uh, peace building or uh, um, preventing resource scarcity, water, food security, those kinds of things that lead to violence. When there's a funder who is interested in that area, we, um, we uh, are able to go there and do our work. Or um, some of the other things that we do, and we're seeing it right now, um, uh, there's a Washington Post article you might have seen just this week about the uh, growing humanitarian crisis in Cameroon. It looks like it could could yeah, almost turn into really. another genocide there. And they, they referred to uh, hate speech, online hate speech there, as being one of the things that are stoking the flames and they cited our report uh, that we had documented hate speech in uh, Cameroon uh, almost a year ago and how it was escalating and how problematic it is. And, and so again, we found there a willing funder in, the, um, in a combination of foundations and social media companies because both have a strong interest in figuring out how to pull hate speech content down as quickly as possible before it turns into violence. Right. So we're and again the short answer Bart is it's resource dependent is the short answer. Right. And we hope that with in the future we'll be able to establish a kind of an agility fund. That's really our most uh -huh. pressing goal. An agility fund that would allow us to go to situations like exactly this, this Cameron situation which is growing every day increasingly it's worsening every day so we could do things when we know where and when we know we should be doing them that's one of our urgent needs well Sheldon Dallas uh, you have I'm sure many of our listeners uh, have been fired up by this you've done uh, you've, you've made the, they want to get behind your efforts so if you could tell us uh, if I wanted to, to lend my hands or or open my wallet how might I get in touch with the Peace Tech Lab and, and learn more and perhaps uh, help more oh that's so nice of you to ask Bart I mean really first and foremost our website www.peacetechlab.com PeaceTechLab, one word, dot org, um, is the place to go, and there's certainly the opportunities to donate there. But beyond that, please sign up for our newsletter and also share huh. your email with us because there are other things. If people truly want to be part of the PeaceTech solution, if you will, the PeaceTech movement, we have so many things. For example, 
we're trying to compile a compendium, a database of all the best uses we see out there oh. for technology in peace building. And, you know, Bart, it doesn't make – those stories don't make the news very often, and that's why I'm very grateful yeah. to you for doing this show. Most of the news tends to focus on, oh, goodness, Facebook was used today to uh, in Sri Lanka, to, uh, and it led to riots in the streets, or ISIS has hijacked Twitter in order to get its message out. Those are the kinds of things that tend to dominate the news, and yet – we know every single day somebody somewhere in the community is devising a clever peace tech solution that should be shared. So we'd love to have help in compiling that compendium. That's where we use a Wonderful. lot of volunteer help. Great. And I, I, it, it, you are right, Sheldon. We are still stuck. Media, shamefully, is stuck in the old William Randolph Hearst model of uh, what sells papers and gets people's attention. Uh, and, and that's all media. But it, it need not be, and you may, each of my friends listening, you have a chance to turn that around and bring the good things to light. Now, Sean is going to continue showing how the weapons of technology may be beaten into peace-building tools right after you and I take a brief uh, sorbet from today's Feast of Wisdom. And uh, as I will offer you a few utensils for today's feast, and the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind you that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, may I ask, will this be the day that you verbalize one enriching ideal in which you believe and allow it to filter into your daily conversations? Or will you continue to be frightened of others' opinions and let your beliefs lie silent? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. As a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. And so I am fumbling around here. here okay, uh, this is number 21. <clears throat> Promotions go to that employee who is famed for making decisions fast, uh, definite, and original. But if you own the company, it profits you better to be thoughtful, cautious, and right. <laughs> what do you think, Sheldon? Are we business folks so caught up in our own lust for speed that we're putting our money behind the rabbit rather than the tortoise and chasing the wrong features, even if they belong to the right models? Uh, well, I, I'd, I'd like to think of um, what we're doing as not a tortoise but as the rabbits. Just you may be chasing the wrong rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, absolutely. Uh, you know, Right there are we are running as fast as we can. I can tell you that Bart. Every single day, I have a dedicated group of people, both here in Washington and he and in um, Kenya, and a number of other staffers in other parts of the world. In California, some one of our people are based. Someone else is based in Virginia, and every one of them is working flat out to try to scale this kind of peace tech work um, because this is the right thing to be doing in these times. Uh, you know, we'd right. like to say everyone has the power of peace tech and we really mean that and we're trying to channel it into um, where it's most needed. And I, it's good to know 
and it is uplifting. And I hope that you all will come away from this show with uh, that ray of hope because it is indeed out there. Just because it's not advertised does not mean it is not, uh, as Sheldon is saying, fired up and going full steam. Uh, if you smirked a bit over that quip, by the way, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit BartsBooks.com and pick up your copy of the 102 or the 101 Best Business Quips, and your joviality quotient will rise, shattering the grim visage of all your fellow wage slaves at work and all that that entails. Uh, and as a third utensil, we sumptuously spooned you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the <clears throat> name of the individual who said... If I had to live my life in anticipation of what others thought of me, very little would get done. Those words were spoken by none other than the American singer, comedian, and columnist Henry Rollins. So congratulations to all you winners, and stick with us, to, uh, because later on in the show, blurting your way comes another enriching quotation. And if you're among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you're correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind and soul-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And Sheldon Himmelfarb will show, will continue to show, the, oh, the art of defeating hate speech. We want to get to that right after I make this introduction to you of the company by whose good graces we are here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing. And now Prometheus Publishing would like to introduce, invite you, well, to take a look at a book that's really helped a great many women in their careers. Behind Every Successful Woman is Herself, is the title. And it's really a gem of a guide. It embraces all the thoughts of leading businesswomen. They were gathered together. We got from them the techniques, the disciplines, and those all-important attitudes for ladies who want their careers and ventures to soar meteorically. It makes an ideal gift as the holidays are coming up uh, for any lady who, uh, or gentleman who is in the business community. You may pick up your copy at bartsbooks.com bookstore. And while you're at bartsbooks.com site, by the way, click on the Prometheus Awards where you can hear today's guest, Sheldon Himmelfarb, and the other Prometheus Social Enterprise Awards honorees reveal how they have developed their inventive organization that is transforming our world for the better. Sheldon's talk is fabulous. It's one of the torchbearer talks, and it celebrates hope. Tune in. Carpe diem, my friend. You are indeed worth it. And now with utensils in hand, let's turn our creative minds back to Sheldon Himmelfarb. Sheldon, I'm going to come at you with, I'm, I'm going to uh, come at you with, shall we say, uh, an, an opposing question. I mean, What's so great about peace? I mean, pushing for peace is, is really, that's the stuff of sissies and liberals and all those folks who would have us back down. We all know that war and gunboat diplomacy is, is good for our nation's business and it protects our unique prosperity. And if, if my son or sister may be called upon to cover themselves with glory in the field of honor, well, it's, it's inevitable. And we just can't afford to show weakness. Am I right? Oh, wow. Yeah, where do I start, Bert? <laughs> Jeez. Um, there's, if, I don't think anybody believes that a peaceful, stable, secure, and prosperous society is a show of weakness. <laughs> Au contraire. All right. It's a, it's a sign of strength. 
Um, and nor, by the way, am I naive or is my organization naive. We, uh, I want to make sure the folks here listening don't think that um, we don't need a very solid and strong um, national security apparatus and defense organization. It is a dangerous world. And I don't believe we're going to get rid of all the, you know, the megalomaniacs and um, the beheadings that we saw under ISIS and all of that kind of hor all of those horrors. That's not going to be solved by more text message campaigns or more tweets or more um, chats, uh, anything of that sort. However, by the same token, nor are we going to create a greater culture of nonviolence and peace building in the world with more boots on the ground, more airstrikes, more drone strikes. And what we're really saying is the balance of investment is woefully Un unbalanced, if you will, mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, um, let me let me put it to you this way: the fact that we have a, you know, the Defense Department's budget is seven close. I think it's around seven hundred billion dollars. The budget for yeah. all of diplomacy and development combined is, I believe, less than fifty billion dollars, and. Then there is the budget for the nation's center for violence prevention, conflict prevention, and peace building, the United States Institute of Peace, and that is only $35 million. I think that gives oh, you a very good sense God. of the disproportionate investments that we are making in the kinds of community-based, soft, smart power interventions that, by the way, you ask any of the former secretaries of defense, Bob Gates has been out there talking about this, Admiral Mullen has been out there talking about this, so many former secretaries of defense will talk to you about the importance of investing more in exactly the kinds of things we're talking about here, in empowering the people in these communities, like those Daravi girls who are coming up with solutions to prevent violence. I think it's that's so true, and I I think that it it is the white elephant that everyone sees, and one of the things you we you said very early on, uh, I'd like to go back to, and you said that it allows us that uh, for now technology allows us to strike preemptively, which is what again from admirals to people in the slums are calling for preemptive peace and. Uh, one of the things that you one of, one of the examples of that is that we we touched on was the squelching of hate hate speech but before it flames into hate crimes. Uh, could you tell us a bit? Uh, explain that a bit. How you you monitor and then and then what? How do how do you uh, squelch hate speech? So it's really really interesting, Bard. That you know this is almost it, it's become a big topic of discussion within the last couple of years because of the speed and velocity uh, sorry the, the 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 velocity and the reach with which social media 
has enabled um, hate speech to travel and yeah. that we're seeing instances of that hate speech sometimes being, you know, it's a diaspora person in the United States that's online spreading false rumors, hateful rumors about one tribe about to do something in country against another tribe. And it turns into, in country, it turns into violent action on the ground. This has happened in countless places. So there's been a fair amount of attention up at, um, on this right now. But, you know, we, those of us who have been working in conflict countries, and I've been working in conflict zones well, I guess since the Mesozoic era, um, and <laughs> I'm sure it feels that way. <laughs> this has been a problem as long as I've been working in these areas. So very early on, a lot of us um, thought it was important to be able. You can't counter it without identifying it. So we have invested in the lab a great deal. We have a wonderful program under the leadership of Althea Middleton-Densner, who has been um, cataloging, breaking the code, if you will, breaking the code of hate speech um, in various countries so that both the social media companies that need to pull down material quickly and the local organizations working there in country or on the ground can identify the hate speech quickly and um, counter it with um, either through, as I said, pulling it down or by working with influencers in the community who can work with the people that are spreading the hate. And that's the other very, very important strategy. Um, but you'd be surprised, Bart, how coded hate speech is in, in various countries. It, it would seem like an innocent phrase to others, but when you're part of the... Uh, whether it's a tribal conflict or religious conflict or inter-ethnic conflict, you know exactly what's being said and what you're being called on to do. Uh, uh -huh. more yeah, so it's it's more than it seems. I, I will say in my, in my own experience, when I was back in college, I subscribed to the Fiery Cross, which was a member of the uh, the, the newsletter of the KKK and, and also to Black Panther News. And in reading both, I found a, a remarkable similarity and uh, between the two uh, in terms of the language. And although I'm sure I didn't pick up on, on all of the coding uh, that was going on in them, I, it's uh, now when you do this, uh, when you were a filmmaker, you were able to put uh, you you brought people together from different sides. I know you did this in Bosnia and so forth, and it was. And, and you put a face to the other side, and that helped. Are you able to, in hate crimes, put a face to the, the, the spreaders? Uh, is that p part of the strategy or not? Um, yes, you do. You certainly do. Um, that's why it's important to do what we do, for example, in identifying hate speech the way we do it. So as opposed to, there's a lot of the technology companies are trying, obviously they have a very, very strong interest in creating um, uh, tools, technology, algorithms to identify as much of this dangerous speech as possible and remove it as quickly as possible. But we add to that a lot of in-country, on-the-ground, local networks that help us create our lexicon lexicons of yeah. hate speech 
And by doing that, by working with local organizations, they have that, – that's why you need to go local. That's why you need to have these trust networks because they are able to identify perpetrators better than we are um, and are able to um, also find influential voices to help counter those um, the perpetrators. So – uh, so, and by the way, Bart, some of these people are very public and open about it. We have many examples, for mm -hmm. example, of folks in South Sudan um, or diaspora members in South Sudan who've gotten online, you know, visibly on Facebook live streaming or um, on YouTube calling for neighbor to come out and kill neighbor. Um, and they're very visible and their names are available. You know, They're not, not lurking all. around, is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm saying it's not all lurking around. There's plenty of lurking no. around. I mean, I, I do think that's that's one of the interesting challenges about the Internet. Um, the, the level of anonymity has so many implications. I know that um, some technologists, smarter engineers than I, have been wrestling with whether or not Full anonymity as it stands today is the right answer for the long-term future of this platform or whether there should be some sort of, you know, bounded anonymity. Um, it's an interesting question that I think is, is being wrestled with in some quarters but not talked about enough. You know, it is something that recently uh, in several of the news media they were talking about efforts of uh, people to – identify people, uh, asking Facebook to identify uh, speakers and to also uh, edit posts. And Facebook was loath to do this. I, I have an instinctive gut reaction to, to uh, that stands against Foursquare against uh, p censor, censoring anything. But I, uh, right. these yeah. are very difficult questions. The, they really the, are. The, I think it's a, yeah. a perfect example, Bart. Sorry if I didn't mean to interrupt, but a perfect no, no. example of how the pace of technology, the pace of innovation in technology, really has uh, to a great – it's pretty obvious to most people. It's outpaced our ability to actually um, legislate, regulate, um, or effectively wrestle with the big questions that – these kinds of innovations raise. Mm. Sheldon, there's so much more I, I wanted to talk to you about. I want to talk about your Ground Truth Global and, and so many other things that, that you're doing. You're, you're doing a great job. Alas, we are running out of, of uh, we're just plain running out of time as all things happen. So uh, I have one more question, that is, if I wanted to have Sheldon Himmelfarb come speak before my executives, my students, my organization, uh, or I just want to find the best ways to blend my energies with Peace Tech Labs, how might I get in touch with you? Great, Bart. Let me give this address, which we check every single day, um, which is info at peacetechlab, P-E-A-C-E-T-E-C-H-L-A-B, info at peacetechlab.org. And I really would welcome people's um, opportunities to get in front of various groups. I've done a great deal of that, and it is for me. It is as it is as valuable for me as I hope it is for anybody that we're talking to because 
um, as you can tell, what we do depends on having strong trust networks around the world. Um, it also depends on having our finger on the pulse of what people are thinking and doing about both violence and the use of technology to counter violence or how it's being used to perpetrate violence. So I really, really would welcome those kinds of invitations. And as I said earlier, you know, we have, we have really interesting opportunities to allow folks to participate in helping us build the peace tech movement and the peace tech industry that we see starting to emerge among companies out there that want to be part of the, the solution rather than the problem of ongoing instability, violence, 70 million immigrants uh, or you know, refugees in the world and so forth. So we welcome those Great. kinds of contacts. Thank you so much, Sheldon. It's been great having you on, and I hope uh, folks will respond. It is something that we all need, and uh, you really have enlightened us, and you've given us, given us a great ray of hope. Thank you so much for coming on, Sheldon. Thank you, Bart, and thanks to everybody who listened. So as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, uh, leaving you with today's business quotation. Um uh, and this one comes in the form of a cartoon caption. It's a, there's a scowling board chair who's glaring at his ambitious-looking board members, and he queries, honesty is the best policy. Okay, now what's the second best policy? <laughs> and as a hint uh, to the author of this one, uh, this multi-decade cartoonist for the New Yorker magazine passed from us recently at 92 years young. And if you know, remember, if you know the author of this quote, just write that name, author's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely life and career changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, efficiency is the process of continually reducing the number of employees assigned to each task until it lapses into total incompletion. And then pointing to the salary uh, savings with a great deal of pride. Sound familiar? <laughs> and to you gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Sheldon and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege and I thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.